Chapter Twenty Seven of Pearl Maiden. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pearl Maiden by Henry Ryder Haggard, Chapter Twenty Seven: The Bishop Cyril. On the morning following the day of the triumph, Julia, the wife of Gallus was seated in her bedchamber looking out at the yellow waters of the Tiber that ran almost beneath its window. She had risen at dawn and attended to the affairs of her household, and now retired to rest and pray. Mingled with the Roman crowd on the yesterday she had seen Miriam, whom she loved, marching wearily through the streets of Rome. Then, able to bear no more, she went home leaving gallus to follow the last acts of the drama about nine o'clock that night he joined her and told her the story of the sale of miriam for a vast sum of money since standing in the shadow beyond the light of the torches he had been a witness of the scene at the slave market domitian had been outbid and their pearl maiden was knocked down to an old woman with a basket on her back who looked like a witch after which she vanished with her purchaser that was all he knew for certain julia thought it little enough and reproached her husband for his stupidity in not learning more still although she seemed to be vexed at heart she rejoiced into whoever's hand the maid had fallen for a while at least she had escaped the vile demission now as she sat and prayed gallus being abroad to gather more tidings if he could she heard the courtyard door open but took no notice of it thinking that it was but the servant who returned from market presently however as she knelt a shadow fell upon her and julia looked up to see miriam none other than miriam and with her a dark-skinned aged woman whom she did not know how come you here she gasped oh mother answered the girl in a low and thrilling voice mother by the mercy of god and by the help of this nehushta of whom i have often told you and of another i am escaped from domitian and returned to you free and unharmed tell me that story said julia for i do not understand the thing sounds incredible so miriam told her tale when it was done julia said heathen though he is this marcus must be a noble-hearted man whom may heaven reward yes answered miriam with a sigh may heaven reward him as i wish i might as you would have done had i not stayed you put in nehushta her voice was severe but as she spoke something that julia took to be a smile was seen for an instant on her grim features well friend well said julia we have all of us fallen into temptation from time to time pardon me lady answered nehushta but speak for yourself i never fell into any temptation from a man i know too much of men then friend replied julia return thanks for the good armour of your wisdom for my part i say that like the lord marcus this maid has acted well 
and my prayer is that she also may not lose her reward mine is commented nehushta that marcus may escape the payment which he will doubtless receive from the hand of domitian if he can hunt him out a remark at which the face of miriam grew very troubled just then gallus returned and to him the whole story had to be told anew it is wonderful he said wonderful i never heard the like of it two people who love each other and who when their hour comes separate over some question of faith or rather in obedience to a command laid upon one of them by a lady who died years and years ago wonderful and i hope wise though had i been the man concerned i should have taken another counsel what counsel husband asked julia well to get away from rome with the lady as far as possible and without more delay than was necessary it seems to me that under the circumstances it would have been best for her to consider her scruples in another land you see domitian is not a christian any more than marcus is and our maid here does not like domitian and does like marcus no it is no good arguing the thing is done but i think that you christians might very well add two new saints to your calendar and now to breakfast which we all need after so much night duty so they went and ate but during the meal gallus was very silent as was his custom when he set his brain to work presently he asked tell me miriam did any see you or your companion enter here no i think not she answered for as it chanced the door of the courtyard was ajar and the servant had not yet returned good he said when she does return i will meet her and send her out on a long errand why asked his wife because it is as well that none should know what guests we have till they are gone again until they are gone again repeated julia astonished surely you would not drive this maid who has become to us as our daughter from your door yes i would wife for that dear maid's sake and he took miriam's little hand in his great palm and pressed it listen now he went on miriam the jewish captive has dwelt in our care these many months has she not as is known to all is it not well if any one wants to find her where will they begin by looking ay where echoed nehushta why should any one wish to find her asked julia she was bought in the slave market for a great price by the lord marcus who of his own will has set her at liberty now therefore she is a free woman whom none can touch a free woman answered gallus with scorn is any woman free in rome upon whom domitian has set his mind surely you christians are too innocent for this world peace now for there is no time to lose julia do you cloak yourself and go seek that high priest of yours cyril who also loves this maid tell the tale to him and say that if he would save her from great dangers he had best find some secret hiding-place among the christians for her and her companion until means can be found to ship them far from rome what think you of that plan 
my Libyan friend? I think that it is good, but not good enough, answered Nehushta. I think that we had best depart with the lady, your wife, this very hour, for who can tell how soon the dogs will be laid upon our slot? And what say you, Maid Miriam? asked Gallus. I? Oh, I thank you for your thought, and I say, let us hide in any place you will, even a drain or a stable, if it will save me from Domitian. Two hours later, in a humble and densely peopled quarter of the city, such as in our own day we should call a slum, where folk were employed making those articles which ministered to the comfort or the luxury of the more fortunate, a certain master carpenter known as Septimus was seated at his midday meal in a little chamber above his workshop. His hands were rough with toil, and the dust of his trade was upon his garments and even powdered over his long grey beard, so that at first sight it would not have been easy to recognize in him that Cyril who was a bishop among the Christians. Yet it was he, one of the foremost of the faith in Rome. A woman entered the room and spoke with him in a low voice. The dame Julia, the wife of Gallus, and two others with her, he said. Well, we need fear none whom she brings. Lead them hither. Presently the door opened and Julia appeared, followed by two veiled figures. He raised his hands to bless her, then checked himself. Daughter, who are these? he said. Declare yourselves, said Julia, and at her bidding Miriam and Nehushta unveiled. At the sight of Miriam's face the bishop started, then turned to study that of her companion. Who vouches for this woman? he asked. I vouch for myself, answered Nehushta, seeing that I am a Christian who received baptism a generation since at the hands of the holy John and who stood to pay the price of faith in the arena at caesarea is it so asked the bishop of miriam it is so she answered this libyan was the servant of my grandmother she nursed both my mother and myself and many a time has saved my life have no fear she is faithful your pardon said the bishop with a grave smile and addressing nehushta but you who are old will know that the christian who entertains strangers sometimes entertains a devil then he lifted up his hands and blessed them greeting them in the name of their master so maid miriam he said still smiling it would seem that i was no false prophet and though you walked in the triumph and were sold in the slave ring for this much I have heard, still the angel of the Lord went with you. Father, he went with me, she answered, and he leads me here. Then they told him all the tale, and how Miriam sought a refuge from Domitian. He looked at her, stroking his long beard. Is there anything you can do? he asked. Anything useful, I mean. But perhaps that is a foolish question seeing that women especially those who are well favored do not learn a trade i have learnt a trade answered miriam flushing a little once i was held of some account as a sculptor indeed i have heard that your emperor nero decreed divine honors to a bust from my hand 
the bishop laughed outright the emperor nero well the poor madman has gone to his own place so let us say no more of him but i heard of that bust indeed i saw it it was a likeness of marcus fortunatus was it not and in its fashion a great work but our people do not make such things we are artisans not artists the artisan should be an artist said miriam setting her mouth perhaps but as a rule he isn't do you think that you could mould lamps there is nothing i should like better that is if i am not forced to copy one pattern she added as an afterthought then said the bishop i think daughter that i can show you how to earn a living where none are likely to seek you not a hundred paces away from the carpenter's shop where the master craftsman septimus worked was another manufactory in which vases basins lamps and all such articles were designed moulded and baked the customers who frequented the place wholesale merchants for the most part noted from and after the day of this interview a new workwoman who so far as her rough blouse permitted them to judge seemed to be young and pretty seated in a corner apart beneath the window by the light of which she laboured later on they observed also those of them who had any taste that among the lamps produced by the factory appeared some of singular and charming design so good indeed that although the makers reaped little extra benefit the middlemen found no difficulty in disposing of these pieces at a high price all day long miriam sat fashioning them while old nehushta who had learnt something of the task years ago by jordan prepared and tempered the clay and carried the finished work to the furnace now though none would have guessed it in this workshop all the labourers were christians and the product of their toil was cast into a common treasury on the proceeds of which they lived taking each of them such share as their elders might decree and giving the surplus to brethren who had need or to the sick connected with these shops were lodging-houses mean enough to look at but clean within at the top of one of them up three flights of narrow stairs miriam and nehushta dwelt in a large attic that was very hot when the sun shone on the roof and very cold in the bitter winds and rains of winter in other respects however the room was not unpleasant since being so high there were few smells and little noise also the air that blew in at the windows was fresh and odorous of the open lands beyond the city so there they dwelt in peace for none came to search for the costly and beautiful pearl maiden in those squalid courts occupied by working folk of the meaner sort by day they laboured and at night they rested ministering and ministered too in the community of christian brotherhood and notwithstanding their fears and anxieties for themselves and another were happier than they had been for years so the weeks went by very soon tidings came to them for these christians knew of all that passed in the great city also when they met in the catacombs at night as was their custom especially upon the lord's day julia gave them news from her they learned that they had done wisely to flee her house 
within three hours of their departure indeed before julia had returned there officers arrived to inquire whether they had seen anything of the jewish captive named pearl maiden who had been sold in the forum on the previous night and as they said escaped from her purchaser on whose behalf they searched gallus received them and not being a christian lied boldly vowing that he had seen nothing of the girl since he gave her over into the charge of the servants of caesar upon the morning of the triumph so suspecting no guile they departed and troubled his household no more from the palace of domitian marcus was taken to his prison near the temple of mars here because of his wealth and rank because also he made appeal to caesar and was therefore as yet uncondemned of any crime he found himself well treated two good rooms were given him to live in and his own steward stephanus was allowed to attend him and provide him with food and all he needed also upon giving his word that he would attempt no escape he was allowed to walk in the gardens between the prison and the temple and to receive his friends at any hour of the day his first visitor was the chamberlain saturius who began by condoling with him over his misfortune and most undeserved position marcus cut him short why am i here he asked because most noble marcus you have been so unlucky as to incur the displeasure of a very powerful man why does domitian persecute me he asked again how innocent are you soldiers said the chamberlain i will answer your question by another why do you buy beautiful captives upon whom royalty chances to have set its heart marcus thought a moment then said is there any way out of this trouble my lord marcus i came to show you one nobody really believes that you of all men failed in your duty up there in jerusalem why the thing is absurd as even those carpet captains before whom you were tried knew well still your position is most awkward there is evidence against you of a sort vespasian will not interfere for he is aware that this is some private matter of domitians and having had one quarrel with his son over the captive pearl maiden he does not wish for another over the man who bought her no he will say this prefect was one of the friends and officers of titus let titus settle the affair as it may please him when he returns at least titus will do me justice said marcus yes without doubt but what will that justice be titus issued an edict have you ever known him to go back upon his edicts even to save a friend titus declared throughout his own camps those romans who were taken prisoner by the jews to be worthy of death or disgrace and two of them common men and cowards have been publicly disgraced in the eyes of rome you were taken prisoner by the jews and have returned alive unfortunately for yourself to incur the dislike of domitian who has raked up a matter that otherwise never would have been mooted now he says to titus show justice and no favor as you showed in the case of the captive pearl maiden whom you refused to the prayer of your only brother saying that she must be sold according to your decree even if he loves you dearly 
as I believe he does, what, my lord Marcus, can Titus answer to that argument, especially as he also seeks no further quarrel with Domitian? You said you came to show me a way to safety. Yet you tell me that my feet are set in a path of disgrace and death. Must this way of yours, then, be paved with gold? No, answered Saturius dryly, with pearls. Oh, I will be plain. Give up that necklace? And its wearer. What do you answer? Now Marcus understood, and a saying that he heard on the lips of Miriam arose in his mind though he knew not whence it came i answer he said with set face and flashing eyes that i will not cast pearls before swine a pretty message from a prisoner to his judge replied the chamberlain with a curious smile but have no fear noble marcus it shall not be delivered i am not paid to tell my royal master the truth think again i have thought answered marcus i do not know where the maiden is and therefore cannot deliver her to domitian nor would i if i could rather i will be disgraced and perish i suppose mused saturius that this is what they call true love and to speak plainly he added with a burst of candour i find it admirable and worthy of a noble roman my lord marcus my mission has failed yet i pray that the fates may order your deliverance from your enemies and in reward for these persecutions bring back to you unharmed that maiden whom you desire but whom i go to seek farewell two days later stephanus the steward of marcus who waited upon him in his prison announced that a man who said his name was septimus wished speech with him but would say nothing of his business admit him said marcus for i grow weary of my own company and letting his head fall upon his hand he stared through the bars of his prison window presently he heard a sound behind him and looked round to see an old man clad in the robe of a master workman whose pure and noble face seemed in a strange contrast to his rough garments and toil-scarred hands be seated and tell me your business said marcus courteously and with a bow his visitor obeyed my business my lord marcus he said in an educated and refined voice is to minister to those who are in trouble then sir your feet have led you aright answered marcus with a sad laugh for this is the house of trouble and you see i am its inhabitant i know and i know the cause Marcus looked at him curiously. Are you a Christian, sir? he asked. Nay, do not fear to answer. I have friends who are Christians, and he sighed, nor could I harm you if I would, who wish harm to none, least of all a Christian. My lord Marcus, I fear hurt at no man's hand. Also the days of Nero have gone by and Vespasian reigns, who molests us not. I am Cyril, a bishop of the Christians in Rome, and if you will hear me I am come to preach to you my faith, which, I trust, may yet be yours. Marcus stared at the man. It was to him a matter of amazement that this priest should take so much trouble for a stranger. Then a thought struck him and he asked, 
what fee do you charge for these lessons in a new religion the bishop's pale face flushed sir he answered if you wish to reject my message do it without insult i do not sell the grace of god for lucre again marcus was impressed your pardon he said yet i have known priests take money though it is true they were never of your faith who told you about me one my lord marcus to whom you have behaved well answered cyril gravely marcus sprang from his seat do you mean do you mean he began and paused looking round him fearfully yes replied the bishop in a whisper i mean miriam fear not she and her companions are in my charge and for the present safe seek to know no more lest perchance their secret should be wrung from you i and her brethren in the lord will protect her to the last marcus began to pour out his thanks thank me not interrupted cyril for what is at once my duty and my joy friend cyril said marcus the maid is in great danger i have just learned that domitian's spies hunt through rome to find her who when she is found will be spirited to his palace and a fate that you can guess she must escape from rome let her fly to tyre where she has friends and property there if she lies hid awhile she will be molested by none the bishop shook his head i have thought of it he said but it is scarcely possible the officers at every port have orders to search all ships that sail with passengers and detain any woman on them who answers to the description of her who was called pearl maiden this i know for certain for i also have my officers more faithful perhaps than those of caesar and he smiled is there no means to get her out of rome and across the sea i can think of only one which would cost more money than we poor christians can command it is that a ship be bought in the name of some merchant and manned with sailors who can be trusted such as i know how to find then she could be taken aboard at night for on such a vessel there would be no right of search nor any to betray find the ship and trusty men and i will find the money said marcus for i still have gold at hand and means of raising more i will make inquiries answered cyril and speak with you further on the matter indeed it is not necessary that you should give this money since such a ship and her cargo if she comes there safely should sell at a great profit in the eastern ports meanwhile have no fear in the protection of god and her brethren the maid is safe i hope so said marcus devoutly now if you have the time to spare tell me of this god of whom you christians speak so much but who seems so far away from man but who in the words of the great apostle my master in truth is not far from any one of us answered cyril now hearken and may your heart be opened then he began his labor of conversion reasoning till the sun sank and it was time for the prison gates to close come to me again said marcus as they parted i would hear more 
of miriam or of my message asked cyril with a smile of both answered marcus four days went by before cyril returned they were heavy days for marcus since on the morrow of the bishop's visit he had learned that as saturius had foretold vespasian refused to consider his case saying that it must abide the decision of titus when he came back to rome meanwhile he commanded that the accused officer should remain in prison but that no judgment should issue against him here then marcus was doomed to lie fretting out his heart like a lion in a cage from cyril marcus learned that miriam was well and sent him her greetings since she dared neither visit him nor write the bishop told him also that he had found a certain grecian mariner hector by name a roman citizen who was a christian and faithful this man desired to sail for the coasts of syria and was competent to steer a vessel thither also he thought that he could collect a crew of christians and jews who might be trusted lastly he knew of several small galleys that were for sale one of which named the luna was a very good ship and almost new cyril told him moreover that he had seen gallus and his wife julia and that these good people having no more ties in rome partly because they desired to leave the city and partly for love of miriam though more the second reason than the first were willing to sell their house and goods and sail with her to syria marcus asked how much money would be needed and when cyril named the sum sent for stephanus and commanded him to raise it and to pay it over to the craftsman septimus taking his receipt in discharge this septimus promised to do readily enough by a certain day believing that the gold was needed for his master's ransom then having settled all as well as might be cyril took up his tale and preached to marcus of the saviour of the world with great earnestness and power thus the days went on and twice or thrice every week cyril visited marcus giving him tidings and instructing him in the faith now the ship luna was bought and most of her crew hired also a cargo of such goods as would be saleable in syria was being laid into her hold at ostia the greek hector giving it out that this was a private venture of his own and some other merchants as the man was well known for a bold trader who had bought and sold in many lands his tale caused neither wonder nor suspicion none knowing that the capital was furnished by the steward of the prisoner marcus through him who passed as the master craftsman and contractor septimus indeed until the after days miriam did not know this herself for it was kept from her by the special command of marcus and if nehushta guessed the truth she held her tongue two full months had gone by marcus still languished in prison for titus had not yet returned to rome but as he learned from cyril domitian wearied somewhat of his fruitless search for miriam although he still vowed vengeance against the rival who had robbed him the ship luna was laden and ready for sea indeed if the wind and weather were favourable she was to sail within a week gallus and julia having wound up their affairs had removed to ostia whither miriam was to be brought secretly on the night of the sailing of the luna marcus was now at heart a christian but as yet had refused to accept baptism 
thus matters stood when cyril visited the prison bringing with him miriam's farewell message to her lover it was very short tell marcus she said that i go because he bids me and that i know not whether we shall meet again say that perhaps it is best that we should not meet since for reasons which he knows even if he should still wish it we may not marry say that in life or death i am his and his only and that until my last hour my thought and prayer will be for him may he be delivered from all those troubles which as i fear i have brought upon him through no will of mine may he forgive me for them and let my love and gratitude make some amends for all that i have done amiss to this marcus answered tell miriam that from my heart i thank her for her message and that my desire is that she should be gone from rome so soon as may be since here danger dogs her steps tell her that although it is true that mine has brought me shame and sorrow still i give her love for love and that if i come living from my prison i will follow her to tyre and speak further of these matters if i die i pray that good fortune may attend her and that from time to time she will make the offering of an hour's thought to the spirit which once was marcus End of chapter twenty seven